0: The views expressed by your hosts austin and landon are not necessarily the views of lincoln financial advisors backbone planning partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of lincoln financial advisors now let's lean in as austin and landon connect with this week's tycoons
1: good afternoon tycoons and welcome to today's episode of tycoons of small biz i'm your host here as almost always austin peterson coming to you live from gilbert arizona And uh, we've got my co-host on the line with us today, Gary Braun coming to us from Minnesota. We'll just call it that. I was going to say the Lakes region, the Great Northwest. Twin Cities area. Twin Twin Cities area. area. There you go. And then we've got our guest, Chase Berkey, coming to us. Uh, He's based out of San Diego, Las Vegas, Nevada area. But right now, I believe he's in the Pacific Northwest. Is that right, Chase?
2: Yeah, I've kind of been all over the place. So lived in San Diego. Now I live in Vegas, spending time in Park City and now here in olympia for a week so i'm kind of all over the place right now
1: gotcha well it's it's a great time of year to do that as somebody who lives in the desert i understand the importance of escaping this time of year so i'll be leaving actually for park city area uh on thursday evening so unfortunately starts with a funeral but uh then after that you know it'll be escaping the uh the elements, and then kind of dealing with some family stuff. So before we jump in, Chase, and kind of introduce you, if this is the first time that anybody's listening to this program and you wonder what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we've been running this podcast for a little over two years. We've recorded over 100 episodes. And this is a small business podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. Today's hosts, today, myself and Gary, are both small business owners. We have two other partners and co-hosts on the show. that We're all small business owners most of us multi-generational small business owners. And we believe that the backbone of the American economy is truly the small business owner and what they do to push our economy forward. And so, like I said, a couple of years ago, we started this podcast because we wanted to provide a platform for small business owners to tell their stories, share advice, and give them you know, content and, and the ability to push out content that benefits them as well. So with that being said, we definitely have a tycoon on the show today with us, Chase Berkey. He's got a great story. He's CEO and co-founder of Dark Horse CPAs. So stay with us. CPAs are not all boring. Many of them are. But uh, Chase is one of those that has uh, kind of bucked the trend. So Chase, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Austin. I will uh, try to not bore your audience too much. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, they can see a side
1: of a CPA that they might not have seen before. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. We're excited to hear your story and, and have you share it here on the show. So let's actually start on the personal side. We always have our our guests kind of tell a little bit about themselves personally. And I know you've got kind of a a unique story. So, you know, tell us about where you grew up. Tell us about, you know, your family when you were growing up. Tell us about family now. Are you married? Do you have kids? You know, what's going on in your family life there? And then, um, you know, kind of what led you to finally get to the point where you're opening up uh, Dark Horse CPAs.
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Salem, Oregon, which for those of you who are not familiar is not where the witch trials occurred. You wouldn't believe how many times people actually asked that question, to which I respond. Do you have any idea when Lewis and Clark uh, set out on the Oregon Trail? <laughs> uh, nonetheless, it was a great place to grow up, but I was seeking some sunshine and also looking to further my baseball endeavors uh so i went to school at point loma nazarene down in san diego and for those who haven't been there the field baseball field there overlooks the ocean the weather's obviously pristine and i went down there for my first visit during december go go, go sea lions by the way right yeah go sea lions (laughs) formerly the crusaders but apparently that's no longer politically correct so they changed the name a couple decades ago went down there in december of my senior year of high school uh, for a little tryout camp and i'd left some pretty dreary weather in the northwest and There were Santa Ana winds down there, so it was 84, 85 degrees in the middle of December, it was paradise. So the decision was made pretty quickly there. Ultimately lived in San Diego for 15 years uh, before moving to Vegas. I Kind of got to the point, you know, midway through college that I knew I wasn't gonna make the major leagues and I didn't really wanna spend all of my 20s chasing that dream on a uh, bus traveling through the Midwest. So <laughs> decided to focus my efforts elsewhere. Just came in as a general business administration major without any clear understanding of what I wanted to do other than something in business. As a result of that, took accounting courses, Had the professors, you know, provide me some feedback. Hey, you should think about accounting. You know, it's the language of business, so on and so forth. And I was like, okay, well, that's convincing enough, you know, to learn the language of business is a good start. Got into my senior year of college and uh, the big four and most of the larger firms start interviewing in that fall. And that was 2008. And at that time, I had some friends who had graduated the year before and were struggling to find, you know, just a waiter job at Chili's, you know, it was kind of the heat of the uh, Great Recession. And so I was just under the impression that I just need a job, you know, because I didn't want to be a typical boomerang kid who moves back in with their folks. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. It just was not what I envisioned for my own life. So knowing that I could get a job offer, you know, secured, you know, months before uh, I would even graduate had a lot of appeal to me. Uh so I interviewed with Deloitte in that fall I think it was September and got a job offer so was pretty you know happy about that it was a job in their audit department and when I graduated I had I don't know why I had this you know much motivation to do this because I didn't really know what I was getting myself into but I figured I should you know might as well just try to pass my CPA exam uh, so I took the entire summer going through that process, had an existential crisis on my very first exam, which uh, I didn't realize was the hardest exam, nor did I realize how the exam worked. And I was getting so discouraged on, you know, how difficult the questions were and how bad I felt like I was doing. And I actually stood up at, you know, with probably 45 minutes to go and almost walked out because <laughs> I was just like, there's, this is a train wreck. But Decided just to, you know, sit back down and at least get a benchmark for my score. And so came to find out later that I had done well on that, passed all the exams. And so was kind of cruising into my tenure at Deloitte feeling good. But I found very quickly how difficult life is at a big four. Wasn't really mentally prepared for it. It was something I knew relatively quickly that it was not going to be my career, at least in audit, nor at a large international firm, you know, so my eyes was on the prize in terms of getting my two years, getting my license and then figuring out the next step. By a chance encounter, I actually met up with um, a friend of mine from college uh, who was starting up his own firm that was more focused on tax uh, and client accounting services, uh, although it wasn't called that at the time, uh, for small businesses. and. That had a lot of appeal to me. So, you know, kind of set the deck for a departure, you know, right after that two-year mark and um, went into a partnership with him. Did that for a couple of years. So, Jason,
3: but- how, how old are you? You're, you're only a couple of years out of school and you're starting your own business a couple of years. And how old are you when you're doing this partnership?
2: When it started, that would have been November of 2011, which would have been 11 years ago, that would have put me at about 25. That's, that's pretty young to be starting your own businesses. I mean, pretty, pretty green. Yeah. Um, naive, but optimistic, I guess, is the way that I would describe that because it was a partnership. It didn't necessarily feel like I was instantly putting myself into the hat of an entrepreneur. Uh, so it was kind of a, uh, a stair step, if you will, to, you know, kind of discover that part about myself, which to be honest, I had no idea, you know, that that was going to be my life because uh, entrepreneurship courses in college always scared me. Like, I know nothing about marketing or, you know, any of these other facets of business, but nonetheless, I found myself there. So a little bit of a stair step, a couple years of that partnership, you know, and like a lot of partnerships, it didn't work out. And so I left rather abruptly and was really just focused on just paying bills at that point. So took a handful of clients and just without much of a plan, just started, you know, putting the pieces together to, you know, be able to serve those clients and to build what would eventually become a firm, you know, kind of in that process, I realized, you know, that that hunger for entrepreneurship and started to realize, you know, I could do some of these things I didn't think I could, Um, you know, and I was actually pretty good at them, you know, and the firm was growing as a result. And I was realizing, hey, I could actually create my own destiny and, you know, kind of be the author of my own story, which was really transformational for me, you know, to not just depend on structure from others or demands of others, whether, you know, uh, clients or otherwise. Kind of the process of that that growth, I mean, it was a lot. Uh, I was doing everything and getting up at you know four forty five in the morning and working until seven at night trying to make it all work. but it was it was just a really unique and you know kind of cool period in my life where I, I started to realize you know just like I said, that hunger for uh, you know entrepreneurship ultimately, you know we grew the firm as it was to. Half a million dollars um, over a couple of years, and that was all fine and dandy. But I was getting a little, little burned out, in a little bit uh, of another form of an existential crisis in terms of what did I really want this firm to look like, and you know where did I really want to insert myself in the business? You know, did I want to do client service? Did I want to you know take on more of a CEO role? And ultimately, had a number of ideas kind of floating around in my head in terms of something we could do that would be drastically different, um, and that led me to a three-day solo, you know, trip to San Luis Obispo, and um, I just put the pen to paper on some of these ideas, and really came up with what is, you know, the shell of what we ended up pivoting our firm to back in uh, July of 2019. And really that was to be a platform CPA firm, you know, that handled all of the things outside of client service for CPAs, gave them a platform to grow, you know, and also a platform, you know, for folks that had a firm that, you know, just reached a ceiling in terms of their revenue, you know, stretched thin, all of that sort of stuff to be able to plug into and, you know, really take that next step in their practice. It's been a journey. We're at pretty much the 3-year mark of it now. But when we or before we pivoted, we were just four of us. And now there's 55 of us. So we've really found some resonance in the marketplace with what we're doing, um, you know, and we've really created something that's you know, unparalleled in the industry and very attractive opportunity for folks that are trying to start a practice, uh, as well as those, you know, who really need that higher level of resource and technology and infrastructure to, you know, really take their practice to the next level. So we've just been running with it ever since. So I got to imagine, uh, I I read your
3: website, I went through a kind of research, the things that you did, and I get where you're coming from. It sounds like a lot of it was based on you know, the struggles that you had to overcome when you were starting your own firm out, and you you're trying to remove those obstacles for other CPAs. If I'm understanding that, right? What was it like when you started this out when you were going from zero to 500k? um, In your first couple of years there, I mean, you got to go hustle, you got to go land the deals, you got you're probably doing a lot of the delivery yourself. You're, You're invoicing people, you're collecting, you're doing all that kind of stuff that a lot of the tycoons are familiar. Tell us about what that was like getting it going and, and who's your rainmaker who's bringing in all the sales?
2: <laughs> well, um, I was wearing all of those hats uh, at least for nine months. And then uh, I was able to uh, recruit my co-founder uh, who joined me nine months later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was all hands on deck for just about everything, you know. So what I recognized that, uh, you know, it was unsustainable to do what I was doing for much longer than I did it, right? And so, you know, the folks that, um, you know, we're recruiting into our accelerator program, you know, they're typically managers or senior managers at a traditional firm. And they, a lot of times don't have the luxury that I had to be, you know, married, but without kids, you know, and without too much financial obligations uh you know to be able to get that off the ground but when you're talking about someone who's got a young family or about to start a young family you know going from you know a six-figure salary or something close to that to no salary startup expenses you know trying to do all of these things that it requires to actually get to the place where you can bill clients and start paying your debt down you know that's a huge sacrifice for anyone uh not just financially but You know, kind of across the board because you're stretched real thin in terms of how involved you can be. So for me, it was more a matter of, okay, I was able to do this because I was at a place in life that allowed me to do it, um, you know, but a lot of folks aren't. And on top of that, how much of a desire do many CPAs have to build a brand, to build a sales funnel, to, you know, create the structure of a firm, to hire, to train, you know, all these things that, you know, you have to do when you own a firm, but don't actually provide enterprise value. You know, a lot of the business valuation for a firm is just gonna be on its book of business, you know? So how could we create, you know, a much better way to get to a place of running your own show, where, when, and how you work with clients, with the support of not just the firm, but, you know, their peers, uh, you know, because one of the things that scared me uh, quite a bit, you know, going out on my own is I knew what I didn't know, right? So, you know, the paralysis by analysis of, okay, if certain situations come up, how far am I going to go down the line trying to research, you know, and come up with the the best solution versus who am I going to have to pass, you know, to another firm? So that collaboration element and that you know feeling of being part of a community that's supporting each other you know is something that you know no other soul practitioner experiences you know at least to the extent that we've built in dark horse they might be part of certain communities but you know in terms of having you know that mutual buy-in you know that we're all here together and we're talking every day you know that that's uh, a huge intangible that people can't necessarily see from the outside but once they're on the inside and you know are benefiting from that you know because of all the millions of things that come up whether it's new legislation covid related or otherwise or just different nuances with states i mean i think one of the things that accounts suffer from uh subconsciously is when it comes to attorneys people understand that you know a Injury law attorney is different from a class action attorney, is different than an employment law attorney, you know, so, or different than a, you know, criminal defense attorney. People understand these are separate fields of law and that one person isn't going to do it all. Whereas CPAs kind of, you know, get put into a very large bucket that could include assurance work, tax work, accounting work, you know, and, you know, they don't know what you don't know. They think, you know, everything. And so, you know, it, it's scary to be put in that position of, you know, what am I going to be expected to be competent in versus what yeah, that I ha- actually
3: that happens in my work too, in the sales world. It's, uh, you know, you, you don't just hire a salesperson because there's, there's hunters, there's farmers, there's people who sell the really big companies, there's people who sell the mom and pops, there's, people who sell complex stuff, there's people who sell transactional stuff, but they're all salespeople. I'd say it's the same type of game. Right. I feel like we got the card ahead of the horse a little bit. We And Austin teased with, uh, you're not the typical CPA. So so talk about how your firm is different than other CPA firms out there, because it is pretty unique.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe the easier question to answer is, how is it similar? <laughs> but your traditional firm is a partnership model where you come in as a staff account typically after your undergrad or at in this point, your graduate studies, cause it takes a graduate level education to get a license. But you know, you're grinding it out and you're working a ton of hours. All of that money is kind of rolling up the pyramid to the partners, you know, and the goal is to either become a partner Uh, in that firm or get to a level, you know, especially at a larger firm where you're maybe at a manager level, and then you can get that job, you know, that's actually going to provide some quality of life and some balance uh, along with a better salary. So it's really kind of akin to the farm system in a lot of ways for baseball, Uh, you know, and being at those lower levels, being in short season or long season, single A versus being in the majors, it's totally different life. But Unfortunately, only 2% of folks actually make partner that enter the profession. So, you know, for a lot of folks, they're just kind of hanging on as long as they can, just kind of getting burned out and just trying to hang on. Really, our firm is more graduate level in terms of you know we're not hiring someone who's got two years of experience our accelerator program you know they're at least at the five-year mark anywhere from five years to in certain cases 30 years for certain of our folks you know so that is a little different from the perspective of we're not necessarily building people from the ground up although our principals end up doing that with their staff members so you know, different than a a traditional, you know, partnership, you know, you're actually, you've got a defined growth path from accelerator to principal, which is akin to a partner in a partnership. You know, there's certain metrics they have to achieve and a very clear roadmap of how to do that. And once they get there, it's not a political decision. It just happens. Then once you are a principal, you know, at a typical partnership, there's kind of a decision by committee, you know, it's a bit of a bureaucracy. Usually there's a managing partner, but a lot of times, you know, you're accountable to those other partners in ways that end up making you more like an employee than a business owner. Whereas in our model, as a principal, you run your own practice. And yes, you're always accountable to your peers in terms of, you know, supporting them and you know, upholding the reputation we have and all of that. But, you know, essentially what you eat is what you kill, you know, or what you kill is what you eat, reverse that. But uh, you run your own P&L, you're not getting these obscure partnership allocations, you know, that you can't really influence right there's a profit split that you know is well defined and in terms of how you control your profitability you've got all of the autonomy to you know be able to do that uh, in the way that you see fit and grow as you see fit Um, you know there's not billable hour requirements and all the things that you know traditional firms have to control we've really found that if you give people the right resources, coaching, and platform, especially CPAs who are mostly type A individuals that, you know, are high integrity, high capacity, they end up surprising you in terms of what they're able to accomplish, you know, and so our whole mindset is, you know, ground up versus top down in the traditional partnership model, you know, and we're able to control quality by giving people the right platform the right tools and the right resources to get it right, you know, on the first go, as opposed to five levels of review before something goes out the door, you know, so in a lot of ways, we operate in a very flat structure, you know, with individual profit centers, if you will, who are, autonomous in hiring whoever they need to work below them to support their practice. Yeah. And then that all rolling up, you know, to the firm as a whole. So, you know, in a, in a lot of ways there's elements that are comparable to a traditional partnership model, but we, you know, have just seen that, you know, when you unleash, you know, the human potential by giving them a level of creativity and autonomy and also support them with the collaboration, coaching, and everything else that we're offering, they're able to, you know, go a lot further in their career than they would have otherwise if they were put into certain boxes. So roundabout answer, (laughs) we're very, very different in terms of, you know, what our model is and kind of how we go about building our people. And also, I think an important distinction really is that, you know, as a leadership team, our customer is the CPA and you know their client is their customer. Uh, We don't try to get in the way of their book of business that they're building. There's no non compete. So if they don't see the value that's being provided in the dark horse ecosystem, they're free to, you know, take that book of business elsewhere and ultimately you know we know that what we're providing is you know unparalleled and you know (laughs) it would be a lot of work to try and replicate these resources that we've built and it would you know for 95 percent of the folks out there you know it just wouldn't make sense to you know try and recreate the wheel from scratch because uh they all have some semblance of how difficult that is
3: so you're providing the the platform, the tools, the resources, the
1: collaboration, but it's really their business to run. Exactly. Yeah. So let's unpack that a little bit further. So, you know, you mentioned the experience level of of a typical CPA who plugs into your platform, right? But let's talk a little bit more about what that CPA or CPA firm looks like, right? Because it's not just somebody who has that that experience, but it's got to be somebody that is looking for what it is that you bring to the table, which is different. And most CPAs probably don't even know that it exists, right? Because it's it's kind of the, the big four, and then you've got the bigger regionals, and then you've got smaller shops, right? That may be just one CPA, maybe one to three CPAs, and then some staff. But the audience, and spece- specifically, there may be some CPAs listening, thinking, gosh, there, there may be something here. What is it specifically that they should be looking for or be excited about to plug into your platform as opposed to just continuing to go it on their own? Or if they are they feel like they're on that partnership route, and you just said, you know, 2% in the big four make it to partnership. So, you know, what should they be, what should be tipping them off that this is something that they should be listening closely to? Yeah, so I mean, if for the folks that are at a firm, you
2: know, you got to ask yourself. You know if given the opportunity do you actually want to be a partner in this partnership you know and that decision can be influenced on what does that power structure look like who are the personalities you know in that partner group what does it look like to function within that group uh, is that is that firm as a whole setting themselves up in a way that's viable for the future you know are they really uh behind uh, in terms of technology and you know creating arduous work processes that are burning people out that are you know resulting in a talent shortage Uh, i think a lot of firms the answer is yes on that what sort of vision does this firm have for the future you know because we've talked to a lot of folks that you know are at that point is like yeah i could become a partner in this firm but i just don't want to you know because of all of those reasons, you know. So, you know, I I think you really want to be mindful of what What you actually want for your career, you know, and whether that's a possibility in an existing firm you're at, you know, and then for the folks, you know, that have their own firm, the central issue that we keep seeing time and again is that Majority of these folks are able to build a six-figure book of business at some point, you know, but in terms of what it takes, you know, to get from, you know, zero to one is different than what it takes to get to one to two or one to 10, you know, and getting to zero to one. Yes, there's a lot of work involved and it's not easy, but once you're there, it's an even smaller number of folks you know that are able to take that next step and build a staff underneath them build a technology stack that actually provides efficiencies build a culture build a brand build a sales funnel you know all of these things that you know you might be advising business owners to do here and there but you know doing it all yourself trying to do your client service duties depending on how much talent you have supporting you and you know how much you're actually involved you know you end up wearing all these hats you've got these compressed deadlines sidetrack any initiatives or projects you're really trying to roll out you know what i would say is look why wear all of those hats and endure all of that stress you know dealing with the things outside of client service because the firm you're building by and large, is going to be valued based on recurring revenue, right? So your actual client list. So if you're spending half or more of your time doing things that are tangential to that, uh, that aren't actually growing, you know that that business. You know you're 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 spending time that you're not capturing enterprise value in. Probably doing a lot of things that uh, you don't love. You know that just are required by the business. Whereas, you know, if you were to merge into Dark Horse, you know, really all your focus is is about serving your clients, building your book of business, serving your clients better than you previously have because you now are freed up and have the resources to focus on advisory as opposed to just getting the compliance work done, Um, you know, and as a result, you're future-proofing your practice, you know, so that you're not so invested in compliance work that eventually gets marginalized and, decompression and all of that. So it's really about certain folks are just going to want to have their name on the shingle, you know, and are going to want that level of full control, you know, and that's not something we're trying to solve for. Uh, but I think the majority of folks, you know, are really just trying to, you know, build a book of business, serve that book of business well, you know, and minimize the headache of everything that surrounds that that's not actually that.
1: Yeah, so I've got a follow-up to that, but let's take a quick break um, here, a quick call to action for our listeners, and then we'll jump back into Dark Horse and all that that entails. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Chase Berkey, co-founder and CEO of Dark Horse CPA. We've been talking about, you know, really what's different and unique about Dark Horse. Obviously, we've talked about Chase's background, but we were just talking about the reason that a CPA firm or an individual CPA would would want to affiliate with, with Dark Horse CPA. And you kind of alluded to it, but you didn't go all the way there. So my experience with CPA firms is that smaller firms specifically, and really kind of all firms, unless there's something unique about them, they sell for a 1x multiple on their revenue. That's what they sell for, right? And so, like you said, if you're not building that revenue, you're not building enterprise value in that business. But my gut tells me that what you're building and the way that you're building it takes that 1x to maybe 2x, maybe 3x, right? Maybe eventually 4 or 5x. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about that and, and, you know, how a firm potentially plugs into your firm as well, right? Are you, go, are you doing an actual acquisition? Or are they just plugging in and sharing some, you know, some profits? Explain how that works. Yeah,
2: so we believe that we're building something that has a far higher valuation, you know, than a 1x on revenue. Um, you know, really what this is, like I said before, is a platform. You know, it's a Uh, almost a CPA firm as a service, you know, if you want to put a spin on it like that not only do they have a structured buyout process to sell their book of business within the firm, you know, that cuts out the broker and the commission, you know, and the pain of transitioning to an external buyer. Uh, You also, as a principal, have the ability to purchase stock uh, via stock options, uh, both, you know, when you become a principal and then annually based on the profitability of your book of business. So you're able to participate in, the larger enterprise and that larger valuation that we're creating as a result of the technology that we're building, you know, as a result of how the business model operates, you know, and not being dependent on a list of clients, you know, that could be more fickle than intended. In a lot of ways, you know, they're able to contribute to and, you know, participate in kind of that larger growth of the enterprise, You know, eventually we want to go public that's five to 10 years down the road, you know, if that were to occur, but, you know, providing different liquidity opportunities for the folks that help us build this firm, you know, and the ability to earn a marketable stock, you know, have their employees, their staff level employees be able to participate in that as well. You know, because your traditional partnership model, you only get ownership as a partner, uh, unless maybe you're one of those firms that has private equity investment that's figured out something creative. But by and large, you don't have equity until you become a partner. And that equity is really just a deferred annuity for a lot of folks, you know, it's locked up until they retire and it doesn't really have any marketable value because it's so tied to the actual client list, you know, and that's truly the asset that it's the revenues off of that, you know, list of clients that is where the value is. So in a lot of ways, you know, we're approaching this more like a traditional startup, as a C corporation, uh, you know, that has RSAs and NSOs and ISOs and all that sort of stuff. But we're building something not just from a leadership standpoint, but with the input of our principals to develop the solutions, whether technology, systems and processes or otherwise, to really create a better experience for everyone and drive more enterprise value as a result. So, sorry if I missed that. So if I'm,
3: if I'm a solo CPA and I wanna become part of this, how, how does that model work? Do I, do I buy in, do I pay you fees? Do I pay you a percentage of my revenue? How, how does the model
2: work? yeah so we are absolutely not a franchise uh so there's no you know royalties or fees off the top uh that's not you know our our model uh the way that we monetize we don't buy the practice either they don't buy into the partnership so it truly is we're standing on our laurels of you're gonna see the value you know that we're bringing to the table by bringing your practice in by you know taking advantage of these resources to be able to grow but like i said before we don't have any non-competes you know so that you know sole practitioner that merged their practice in if they decide it's not for them they're free to you know take it uh, back into you know their own or their or existing practice, they can merge it elsewhere. We're not trying to control that book of business. We're, like I said before, our CPAs are our clients. So if we haven't served them well enough, you know, that they see the value of being part of, you know, the dark horse family. Then are they paying them monthly fees then or are they paying you monthly fees to have access to the platform or how does that work? So it's a profit split. So they're running their own PL. and uh and based on the profitability of their book business they're getting roughly two-thirds and then we're taking the other third to pay for payroll taxes benefits uh you know all the technology overhead and then a profit margin and we're able to make that balance on both sides because we're translating the scale that we have in pricing as a larger firm to the individual level you know so whereas they would be for example with like Botkeeper, which is an ai machine learning platform for bookkeeping automation they'd be paying the full you know platform fee and the highest per company fee and this is just one of many examples where we've actually amortized that platform fee over a much larger group of folks and we have the lowest per company fee you know so they're benefiting from these in ways that they couldn't on their own and so that split ends up working for both sides
1: yeah, I think, I think on the surface, if you hear, you know, one third, right, any business owner is going to go, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so I'm giving up a third of my revenue. But if you think about everything that you just mentioned, right, the benefits, the, you know, the, the software, all those kinds of things that you guys bring to the table. If I think about my own business, and I'm sure if Gary thought about his own business, about a third of our overall revenue goes to those things that you just mentioned, yep. right? Yep. So you're giving them the ability to plug in with some economies of scale, building in some profit for you, but then also potentially taking their marketing from here to here, freeing up their time to focus on client work and client service. And like you said, doing more advisory rather than just compliance work, you know, all the things that every CPA says they would like to do, but, they just can't because there aren't enough hours in the day. Right. And, and to be clear, it's a third of their net profit,
2: not of other revenues. Uh, so and that's intentional because we want to be aligned with them to create as much profit sure. as possible, you know, and not just have um, poor margins as a result of not operating efficiently and effectively. So it, it's set up that way, you know, for a reason. But, you know, the mindset of, OK, what is this going to cost me to move over apples to apples? How much less am I going to be making? That's a consideration, clearly. You, you can't ignore that. But really, you know, we're looking for folks that understand, okay, what does the next five, 10 years look like? And how much more can I grow and how much more can I make as a result, you know, of these resources and this platform, you know, this collaboration uh, that I wouldn't be able to do on my own, right? For some folks, you know, we do for everyone we do a comparative trailing 12 pnl analysis where they send us their pnl for you know what they did when their own firm we show them what they would have made in our model just apples to apples sometimes they're actually ahead of the game and they're making more in our model from day one which is a win sometimes you know there's it's roughly break even and sometimes they're making less or even substantially less if they're running super lean but in situations where they're you know going to be making a lot less it's like look you can't scale this further than you have at this point, because you're running so lean, you're not using any technology, you know, or any staffing to actually be able to add on to this, you know, so it's not going to be for everyone, you know, folks that are going to be, you know, more akin to being Pennywise dollar foolish, you know, we're not maybe the right fit for them. But the folks who realize what they can be able to do in our model, you know, that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Those are the folks, you know, you can tell in those conversations when people just get it. And, you know, those are the ones we're looking for. There's also other opportunities, you know, within our firm to gain revenue streams, you know, that offset any of those additional costs and a lot of times push you well, well above, you know, that that net that you'd be comparing to. Uh, One of which is a financial advisory practice that we're going to be launching in November that uh, will share 23% of the revenue with our CPAs uh, for, you know, all the fee for services for that financial advisory work, Uh, you know, so that's somewhat mailbox money, obviously there's some work, you know, that's done between the CFP and the CPA, but there's just a a number this is just one of many ways where you can really increase that top line revenue you know so that what you're taking home at the end of the day is you know far greater than what would what you do on your own so so i chase i'm still i'm blown
3: away a little bit on i'm working at a boutique firm i'm not that far out of school and all of a sudden i've got the term you use is a, a platform CPA firm, which is a completely brand new thing, right? Nobody's done this type of thing before. How did you get from, I'm a young CPA at a boutique firm to I'm building a platform? And how long did it take you to kind of build this thing up to have people go, hey, I want to be part of that?
2: That's a great question. 2011 to 2015, that was that time period, you know, that um, I was in the boutique firm. And it, it took four years, you know, middle of 2015, and the middle of 2019, before we actually pivoted into this platform CPA firm model. You know, so this wasn't an overnight sort of, however, it's felt overnight in terms of once we made that pivot, how quickly we grew thereafter. You know, in terms of where the idea came from, it really was just a matter of survival to get started. And then maybe a secondary act of survival as to how I was actually going to be happy, uh, you know, and fulfilled in what I was doing beyond that, you know, because I didn't just want to have it be, you know, that traditional model and just, you know, earn more by, you know, breaking my back further. I'm someone that I think never really felt like, never felt comfortable in the skin of an accountant. you know, I felt like i had weaknesses where a lot of people had strengths and then had strengths in areas that a lot of folks had weaknesses you know and i think that i was pretty down on myself you know for a lot of years in terms of the majority of my job being in what i felt like were my weaknesses you know and not being able to utilize the strengths you know so part of this was identifying you know what i felt like i could bring to the table that was unique you know that other CPAs in our case, you know, could benefit from, you know, in structuring what I brought to the company around that. But, you know, in terms of actually getting it off the ground, that was that was a lot of work. I mean, that was it, like any entrepreneurial effort, you know, where you're bringing a new product to the market, you've got to get people to believe in it before it's actually created, right? You've got to sell them on the vision. you got to show them, you know, where you are going, how you're going to get there and how they're going to be a part of it. Um, you know, so we've had this conversation internally before, you know, I used to be very tight-lipped on who I would tell what about what our model was because no one else was doing it and, you know, didn't want to get ripped off or anything like that. But we finally got to the point where it was like, okay. We could give someone or anyone the playbook, you know, but in order to actually execute on that and, you know, build that buy-in and build that, you know, initial flywheel, there's not a lot of folks, you know, that would be able to do that. You know, I was really only able to do it up to a certain point, uh, you know, myself and my co-founder having these conversations, and then we recognize, okay, we need someone who is dialed in in this area of recruitment and, you know, can just go out there and sell ice to Eskimos. And we found that in a friend who is consulting uh, for us, and he was also a client of ours at the time, he has been able to just totally transform not only our recruitment effort but the development of those folks. And you know, the, the way that he can sell them on joining Dark Horse, he can also coach them on how to sell the clients. You know, and when you talk about you know what accountants are good at, maybe what they're not, I think a lot of folks are surprised to learn that they're a lot better than they thought on the sales side you know and the conversation isn't you know a telemarketing you know uh cold pitch it's really just providing value being a you know personable human being uh you know and just i mean the bar is actually kind of low right and so people's expectations are low as a result And if you can come in there, you know, prepared for the conversation, you know, friendly and provide value, you're going to close that business. And then we're going to also show you how to, you know, propose different projects and scopes to clients and get through that whole process. So in a lot of ways, it's just been okay. You get as far as you can with what you have, then you have to have another level of resource and another level of expertise in our technology. We realized we were really at our limits in terms of what we could handle and what our competence was on that side of the business. So hired a VP of technology, uh, you know, and he's been running with that since November of last year, you know, so it's, it's, I think, I think the biggest thing that I am accountable to bring to the table is sourcing, identifying and evaluating
1: talent, you know, to
2: run areas of our business.
1: I know Gary and I have spoken about this before. It might've been actually way back when Gary was a guest on our podcast before becoming one of the co-hosts. But, you know, we, we talked about how, unfortunately, business owners don't always know, and this is not industry specific by any stretch, but, uh, you know, CPAs certainly fall into this category where they don't know exactly when to make that next hire, right, so that they can literally take one of the hats off that they're wearing, right. Gary, specifically on the sales side, a lot of the times, the founder and the CEO of the company is also wearing the sales VP hat. And so I I think that that you know, what you're showing us is that you're starting to see, you know, you guys are still a pretty young company. I mean, it's only been three years that you've been on this portion of it, right. On the platform side, I know you've been doing the CPA work longer, but it's nice to see that you're recognizing, okay, I need the help on the technology side. I needed the help on the the recruiting side. I'm good at sales, but this recruiting guy really helps our CPAs that come in to be better at selling themselves in addition to selling them as to why they should be on our platform. So all of those things, whether you know it or not, and I have a feeling you do, are the things that increase that enterprise value of your organization. If more business owners could get out of their own way and realize that by letting go of more things, the value of their organization goes up, a lot more people would not hit that plateau that so many business owners hit and CPA specifically hit that quite a bit and don't and are not able to go beyond that. Yeah. yeah. Just to tag onto that and it's the the company I was with prior to starting
3: pivotal advisors was uh we went from a million dollars to 400 million dollars in 11 years. And and I got to tell you the things that you do at a million dollars are way different than the things you do at 5 million or 10 million or 50 million and you got to build the system build the engine change roles get the heck out of the way so it kind of leads into the question is what do you got to do next you built this thing to help other people scale but what what do you got to do chase to help you scale what's your next big move that you got to make to get to that
2: next level of growth technology is a huge part of that you know because there's a lot out there in terms of what you can do nothing really off the shelf is gonna get you there. Um, And a lot of what is in our industry is just a lot of off the shelf apps that are for a specific part of a practice. The only larger ecosystem apps are from the larger, uh, you know, CCH and Thomson Reuters of the world that are basically legacy systems that they've tried to convert to cloud. Some of them still aren't even cloud, Um, you know, so there's a ton of shortcomings that uh, are Inherent in those systems, you know. So, to the extent that we can develop our own and continue to develop, I should say, our own proprietary technology that brings those apps together in meaningful ways, and then goes beyond that and provides, you know, that efficiency uh, and effectiveness that you know takes folks out of the data entry, you know, and the compliance work, and allows them to focus on advisory our growth is gonna be a result of the growth of our accelerators and principles, as well as our ability to continue to attract, you know, new accelerators and merge in other principles. Um, you know, so there's that client accounting services is a very growing area in public accounting. Um, I like to say it's akin to IT where IT used to be in house historically, and then it got to a place where it was outsourced. And now really the talent resides in those outsourced firms because they're getting exposure to a lot of different companies and they're growing as a result of it, as opposed to doing things one way, you know, the way that one company does it. Same thing's happening on the accounting side. You know, a lot of startups doesn't make sense to hire a CFO, but a fractional CFO makes sense, right? So really evolving in that area of our business and creating structured processes, you know, tech stacks that are uh, more uniform for more productized offerings and being able to scale that and ride that you know growth wave a lot of firms are just very behind in terms of what that offering is uh, it's very undefined and very ad hoc um, and isn't providing a ton of value at the end of the, day of the client so that's huge you know I think those financial advisory practice we're going to launch is going to be huge as well in terms of the global offering to our clients the stickiness therein as well as the switching costs you know for a CPA to go do it on their own and miss out on that revenue stream but i'm also i guess humble enough to know that i don't know exactly what is going to be required to yeah. you know get from 6 million to 10 million to 20 to 30 yeah. you know those things aren't always obvious until you're in the thick of it and then you're like okay well this worked at a smaller scale it does not work at scale you know so whether that's systems and processes or other leadership uh, team members you know I I just (laughs) am resigned to the fact that I'm constantly going to have to be keeping a pulse on the business and you know be ready to pivot you know where those pivots are needed.
1: Yeah so it it's interesting that that's the the direction you took it because I was on a on a webinar earlier today that we put together with a you know a group that we're affiliated with and it was it was a webinar about M&A activity in 2022 versus 2021 and what they're seeing and what's different today compared to then and you know all those sorts of things and and there were some private equity groups on and investment bankers and so forth and and one of the things that one of the private equity group guys said was you know in in the past, and it wasn't you know it's not black or white, but in the past they would typically look and say, okay, if if we're looking at an organization and we're gonna we're gonna be willing to buy this organization for that, we're buying it because we would look at it and say, if we add this many full time employees and you know put make some other investments in some other areas, th- we can take it from here to here, right? Well, now it's more yeah employees are sometimes important and you know now we're in a place where we may not even be able to get the employees that we need to do certain things anyhow but what can we do from a technology standpoint within that firm to pour fuel on that fire to then take it from from here to here right and so it's interesting that you know you talk about that i mean financial planning accounting insurance i mean there's so many industries that you know, we're all kind of loosely tied to where the technology is so far behind. And if you can turn that into something that really makes you guys unique and frees up time and ability to generate more revenue and to do it with less, you know, employee need less hours needed from the principal, all those sorts of things are going to are going to be what's that, you know, what that fuel is that you need to go from six to 30 million in the next two years. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, For us, it's
2: just one component of supporting our principal, you know, our accelerators, our accountants in general, ultimately their success is our success, you know, so our focus is really just centered around how do we provide more value to their practice? Because to the extent we can do that is to the extent
1: this whole thing is gonna work. Any final words, Gary, before we let him bring us home with uh, how to get in touch with them? Yeah, you playing any baseball anymore? Or how do you do you get any time to throw it around? For my birthday last year, uh, um, my
2: wife rented out the Las Vegas uh Aviators ballpark and we uh did some BP there. I realized I was a little older than I thought I was. Uh wasn't able to turn on the inside pitches like I once was, <laughs> but it was a ton of fun, and I had. I finally hit one over the fence, so I felt pretty good about that. But, yeah, I actually I played a little bit of men's league wood bat back in San Diego for a couple of years in my late 20s, early 30s, and kind of got those juices flowing again. I was like, oh, man, it would have been interesting to see where I could have taken this, you know, <laughs> as opposed to just, you know, <laughs> being a weekend, you know, sort of player. But I enjoy the game a lot. Had a lot of fun watching the home run derby last night. Uh, I'm a Mariners fan, so I was uh, really pulling for Julio Rodriguez. There It didn't quite work out, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, whenever I get the chance, you know, to be involved, you know, I'm open to it as long as I have time. <laughs> that's the biggest.
3: Wait, uh, wait, till you, wait till you get old like me, and then it's uh, whack a ball, sit in the cart, whack a ball, sit. In the car. That, that's that's about all I can
2: maintain. <laughs> yeah, right now for me, it's whack a ball, go find it in the rock. <laughs> <laughs> so hit it out of the sand, whatever it is. Yeah, it's my golf game needs some help. That's for sure.
1: Well, I think we can we can all relate to that. So, since you mentioned that you're a Mariners fan, uh, I don't know how fo- how closely you follow baseball now. You watched the home run derby last night, so that's probably a pretty good indication. But what are your thoughts on the chances that the Yankees break the Mariners' single season wins record?
2: She wouldn't like to see it. But there is a decent chance. I mean, it just all depends because you get into August and teams that are hot, cool down, teams that weren't, you know, heat up, it's we're halfway through the season. I don't think they'll do it just because I think they'll hit some sort of
1: skid, but it's also very possible. So I guess we'll see. Well, there's a lot of sun, so you may not be able to say that. It says Fenway Park. I'm a big Red Sox fan have been a long time. So I, of course, don't want to see the Yankees uh, break that record either, but I just, they seem to have like what starts to be a skid. You're thinking, Oh, they lost five out of six, you know, and then all of a sudden, here they go again. I mean, they beat the Red Sox twice over the weekend by 10 or more runs. And it's just, it's just, yeah, they, they have a really strong team this year. And I, I, if any team ever has a chance of breaking that record, it's it's this year's Yankees, I believe. Yeah. Well, maybe the uh, Mariners will get the uh,
2: consecutive win record if they keep things up. They got 14 straight. Granted, I would imagine after the All-Star break, uh, they'll probably lose their first game after the break. But as a baseball fan, I, I do have to say, I went to Fenway about three years ago. It was before the pandemic. And I've never been around a more electric
1: atmosphere for a baseball
2: game in my life. It was It was a great experience.
1: Yeah. Amen. I I tell people that all the time. I said, I don't care if you're a a Yankees fan for crying out loud. If, If you like baseball, you will love watching a game at Fenway Park. It's not comfortable, right? Like it's not, it's old seats and there's obstructed views and there's, you know, all this kind of stuff, but the crowd knows all the time what's going on with the game. And about a third of the crowd is actually scoring it in a scorebook. Like that's how engaged they are in, in baseball. So yeah, it's, it's my, one of my favorite places in the world to be. Now, I've been there multiple times. Um, actually probably not going to get there this year. I think I might actually see the Red Sox play the Yankees in the new Yankee stadium in September. Cause my wife, my wife's birthday is on September 23rd. She, we're going to be on the East coast already. She wants to see uh, a Broadway show. Hmm. And the Red Sox are in town playing the Yankees. And I've only been to the old Yankee stadium, not the Yan- Yankee stadium. So I think we may catch a game the day after her birthday. She's made that very clear, not on her birthday, <laughs> the, the day after. But yeah, it's uh, I'll, I'll see a baseball game anytime, anywhere, for sure. So uh, Chase, really appreciate the opportunity to have you here on the show. Appreciated the conversation, your unique spin on things where can people find you? Where can they track you down? CPAs that are listening or otherwise that, uh, that want to know more about Dark Horse?
2: Yeah. So to learn more about what we're doing on the CPA side, a good resource is abetterway.cpa. That's a abetterway.cpa. You can find us on LinkedIn or on Twitter at horsecpa, or you could just reach straight out to Justin. If you're interested in joining our accelerator program, uh, or becoming a principal by merging your firm in, he's Justin at darkhorse.cpa, but yeah, a number of ways to get in touch with us, but to learn more, a better CPA is a great resource. And it
1: also has, you know, some ways to reach out to us embedded within it. Awesome. Well, again, thanks. Thanks for the, uh, conversation. Thanks for being willing to come on the show and we appreciate the, the relationship and look forward to staying in touch.
2: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me. Great conversation. We'll be talking. Thanks, Chase.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners.